Turn with me this morning to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and it's probably not up on your notes, but I'm going to kick off with that, and we'll head somewhere with it. Um, when I realized that I was going to be preaching this morning, I heard the Lord say something to me concerning that, and if you've been in the class about the power of right thinking, you've probably heard this term used in the middle of that. If God can change the way that we think, he can change everything that's going on in our life. If he can change the way we view something or think about something or think about someone or something, he can change everything about us. The very first thing that is in, was in the Garden of Eden, which the term means the place of his presence, the place of his pleasure. God told him, he said, you can be fruitful, multiply here. Just finished a series not long ago about that. And everything was perfect. Presence of God was there. They lived under the glory of God as their clothing. They were clothed with the glory of God. Who wouldn't want to live like that? And then there was a thought introduced into mankind from outside of the presence of God that changed everything. And this one thought was, did God really say? Did God really say? In essence, to say, maybe God is not as good as you think he is, or maybe God is keeping something from you that's outside of this, and he knows that if you ever eat of this tree of knowledge, good and evil, you will be like him. And if you become like him, in essence, you'll no longer need him. You've stepped outside of creation. You've stepped outside of what you were created for. And yet there was a choice there. They could have eaten of the tree of life, and they chose to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the glory departed from them. They leave the presence of God, and now they're on their own because of one thought. How many times have, that you and I have dealt with something that was a thought introduced, and the devil always does it in a very rational way. Even the idea, let's do evil so good will come. Let's rob a bank and give it to the poor. You think the rationale? Well, you can, while you're sitting in jail for, you know, 25 years, you can remember the poor. You'll have them with you always, he said. But when we start having rational thinking in terms of trying to figure out how God thinks on our own, own we get into trouble. Or it creates doubt and unbelief and creates a fear-based place in our life to where that we get stuck there. And it develops a sense of filter through our eyes to where everything we see begins to see through that filter. The filter of what if God didn't do, what if God didn't show up, what if God didn't do what he said he's going to do, the what ifs. And the more that we have a, a cognitive mind, and, and yet our, their mind is something God gave us, the more that we, we live from this, this point here and never allow the Spirit of God within us, which is the eternal part of our being, if the Spirit doesn't rise up and, and our mind becomes submitted to the Spirit of God, then our mind becomes dominant. That's what happened with the, in the garden. There, everything was flipped. Before that time, man was dominated by his spirit being. He communicated with God in a very spiritual way. They never had to guess and wonder what God was saying. It was understood. It was received, whether it was a verbal thing or just by their, their spirit to spirit. Psalms 42 said, the deep calls out into the deep. It's that kind of thing to where I understand in my spirit. When that happened, they flipped, and now the mind, their mental capacity became dominant, and the spiritual part of them became the lowest part or the lowest denominator in their life. It was now soul, body, and spirit 
where originally it was spirit, soul, and then body. And so we're battling even today in the time we're in, battling with that, that flipping, if you will. And yet when Jesus came in the world, it was to restore us back to God's original, which is to be spiritually aware and that our mind has to submit to his word. If it is not biblical, then we don't, our mind it can do whatever. But when you say, this is the word of God, and we say, yeah, but did God really say? Then we have put our minds back in a higher level. And the Bible says when he exalts itself above the knowledge of God, then we have, we have removed God from having the predominance in our life. So when we look at the life that Jesus lived in Jerusalem during that time, he lived under Roman occupation. For just a couple of minutes, I want us to think what it would be like to be under an occupation of another country. I've been to third world countries, Diana, I've been to Poland and Ukraine, you know, right after the communist wall fell. And uh, people wouldn't smile, they wouldn't look at you and look in the eyes. They were just totally, a, there was not any pain on the building, everything was cement gray. It was a very depressing, everybody just lived out of fear of somebody else turning them into the government and so on. It took, it's taken decades for people to have an encounter with the Lord, revival to happen in some of these countries to where now they, they'll look at you eye to eye and even smile. Morela knows what I'm talking about. They're in Serbia, Bisa. Some of you have ever lived there, you understand what I'm talking about. When Jesus was walking around Jerusalem, the Roman occupation, the Romans were brutal. And even Jesus' disciples were coming to him and, and wanting him to do something because in their mind was when Messiah comes, and this is what they were taught, that when Messiah comes, he will kick out the Romans and he will establish his throne and will live happily ever after. But the thing that was predominantly on their mind was Romans. We want Messiah to come and deal with all of this and all of those things. And yet Jesus was continually saying, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and so on like that. But Jesus continually was talking to them and using a phrase that we, as Christians, we hear a lot, but we don't, I'm not sure if we understand its full, full expectation or, or its, its strength of that. For over 80 times, just in the New Testament, the word, the kingdom of God is like. He is making a comparison. The kingdom of God is like. Why is he wanting us to get that? And he's not just talking about the kingdom of heaven someplace in the third heaven where, you know, eternity is. He was referring to right now. The kingdom of heaven is like. And he was referring to this and wanting to teach them that they are to live from the inside out, not live from the outside in. Based on what's happening around you. And the disciples were brutalized by the Romans and they were continually affected by that. They were in fear of that. And Jesus didn't seem to wholly address a whole lot of the things going around them except their attitude towards that. And how they addressed the poor. And, and when they were the woman caught in adultery, how they dealt with that. And, and instead of just, you know, well, let's, break, let's throw the law at her, the book at her. Yet Jesus somehow or another looked beyond that and could see the, her heart. And he's saying to them, you know, if you want to throw the first stone, do it. Because it's going to be come back on you in judgment. So there was something that Jesus was wanting us to understand. Jeremiah 31 prophesies concerning that the time will come when no longer will the law of God be written on tablets of stone under the Mosaic Covenant. 
But he said, the time will come when I, the, my father will write under the new covenant, will write his laws on, or his desires upon the heart. All the way through, we find Jesus said it's about the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then you, even we see it in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 17 when Samuel's trying to decide the next king and, and he's looking at all of the sons of Jesse and how big they were. And Eliab was, was a big guy. And he said, surely the, the Lord's king has been in front of me. And, and, and God told him, he said, no, not him. You look at the outward, but I look at the heart. And he chose the smallest one among them, that was David. God does things so outside of what we think that natural mindset would tell us to be. He moves in ways that are, that are understanding to the spirit man, but are not necessarily understanding to the natural man. So when we approach the things of God with a natural mindset, it boggles the mind and it creates kind of, you know, how could this be and how could that? We creates a lot of why questions. But when we come to the point of saying God's doing something deep inside of us beyond what the mind can embrace, then we say, I'm going to trust you even though I don't understand circumstances. When you're dealing with circumstances that you can't figure out, just go deeper in your spirit and say, you know what, I, this, is, this is my eternal heart, my place with God is secure. I'm going to start from here, and God, if you want me to understand something, I'm going to let you, let God arise and let you come up and give me understanding my mind. Most of the time, I don't get understanding until I'm way down the road and saying, aha, this is why this is happening. But in the process, you're trusting God through all of it when it doesn't make sense. So in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, and I want to relate to the time that we're living in right now and the world around us. If you only live by circumstances, what's going on around you, it can be very disruptive depending on your personal situation, circumstances, whether it's a financial, physical thing or just concerned about the, the geopolitics or whatever's happening in the world. But in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, he makes this statement that most of us are familiar with this, this point. Um, pick it up in verse 28. He's talking about my, Mount Sinai when the presence of God came down on it. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Let me just say that there will be a time when there will be a physical kingdom of God in Jerusalem ruling from Mount Zion, which right now could very well be the, the Temple Mount. We see it Isaiah 35 points to that. Isaiah 9 talks about that there will be a physical kingdom of God come. Until that time, he refers to the kingdom of God not as a place but a presence. In fact, the word presence there literally means a, a dominion of space around us. So where's the kingdom of God? It's wherever, wherever we allow him to come in and have dominion. Hang on a second. And he says to them, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, I mean, he's addressing the angels, the general assembly and church of the force firstborn, the council is there. Church of the Firstborn, who's speaking relatively to Jesus, who are registered in heaven to God the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect. So that covers us, everybody. He says to them, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, barith means to cut, that's the word for covenant. Jesus was cut as a sacrifice was cut, so he became the sacrifice. To the 
new covenant and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. The blood always speaks good things, always speaks things of blessing. So if you're hearing things of fear and, and uh, you know, that depression, oppression, and, and uh, judgment against other people, you're not hearing the blood. Come on. The blood speaks better things. Are we speaking under the authority of the blood? Are we speaking under the authority of what's happening around about us? If you're criticizing everybody and everything, you're not seeing it through the blood because the blood has caused people to become part of who Jesus is. So when you see things through the filter of the blood of Jesus, then you're pronouncing what Jesus says, and then you have the blessing in favor of Jesus. When you're pronouncing things that, that, are, that Jesus sanctified and that he has brought into his image and we're saying something a different way, what we're saying is we're literally diminishing or speaking against the blood of Jesus. Just a sidebar. Verse 25, seeing that you do not refuse him who speaks, talking about Jesus, the spirit of prophecy in the last days. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, which was there in Mount Sinai, if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, speaking right now, whose voice then shook the earth there on Mount Sinai, but now he has promised saying, yet once more, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. That is that realm of the demonic, not the third heaven, that second heaven. I will shake the very demonic foundations and strongholds and the kingdom of that is in their darkness of rule. I will shake it again once more of things that are made, which things cannot be shaken, which may remain. Things that are shaken are going to be shaken. The things that remain means they cannot be shaken. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. That which cannot be shaken will not be shaken. So it tells us if I'm being shaken, then I'm standing on, on really bad ground. If I'm standing on the Word of God and standing on what Jesus said, the blood of Jesus has given right to, it will not be shaken. Everything else can be shaken around us. You can even look at all the shaking, but it doesn't have to come near you. Let me give you a case in point. When God was ready to deliver the Hebrews out of Egypt, he sends his, the angel comes in. It's really the, the demon, the death angel, but God allowed it. He's huddling and cuddling, as I say, over the, the homes of the Hebrews that have the blood over it. And it, it caused judgment to come upon them. But where the Hebrews lived, there was in Goshen outside of Jerusalem, like the suburb, that there was darkness that fell over the face of, of Egypt. But in Goshen, the Bible said there was light. Yeah. Same, same region, darkness in one place, still light in the other place. Like God says, I, he's a multitasker. He can deal with one thing one way and deal with another thing another way simultaneously. So he can shake something that's been shaken all the while you're not being shaken. I was in Mexico a few years ago and standing on the platform speaking and all of a sudden I noticed people just running out of the building. Looked over my translator. I said, what would you say? And they, and they got up and left. So I was still there. And I don't, couldn't figure out why they were leaving. And finally, when a friend of mine came up and said, brother, look above. And the, there's, the whole light bar was ahead of me was just swaying back and forth. He said, it's an earthquake. Oh. 
They're running to get out of the building. I wasn't feeling anything. I could see it, but I wasn't feeling anything. And I heard the Lord say, stand fast, <laughs> stand still. And I, thought, I could see that thing swaying over me, but I didn't feel it under my feet. A few minutes they came back in, we picked right up and did it. When I said that, was I, I was making this declaration, and I said, the blood of Jesus is stronger than the cartels that fuel drugs and, and, and all the sex trafficking throughout Mexico. As soon as I said, the blood of Jesus is stronger than cartels, I mean, it went to shaking. Is that coincidental? I don't know. All I know is I didn't feel it. There's a place in the Lord where you can feel steadfast and you see things around. Be very careful that you don't spend all your time reporting everything being shaken while the, while the time is. Jesus said, I, I've got you. Noah's in the ark. Judgment's coming. God shuts the door on the ark. It was God who shut the timing of it. He shut the door. Noah and his family is enjoying a cruise while judgment's happening outside of that. There's a place in the presence of God that you can live and dwell and exist while the rest of the world is shaking and the news is saying how bad things are. But in him, there is safety and it cannot be shaken because he is the rock that can't be shaken. Amen. We will need to understand that in these last days. We can make that application very easily to, our, to ourselves. If you're dealing with a financial situation Begin to go back to saying, what does the Word of God say about my finances, not what they're saying on TV? Right. We're coming to a crash. You better buy gold, better buy silver, better sell your kids off because they're, you know, they're, they're, they're a higher rate right now. All, I mean, you hear all these crazy things going on and to, to pull us out of a place of protection. Remember a few years ago, God said, if you'll go where I send you and not worry about whether they even take care of you or not, I will keep better books than you do. And man, have we seen it. Money shows up in the mailbox all of a sudden, you know, and we weren't expecting it. Things happen, and I mean, it's just amazing. We've walked and lived that out of that. For a number of years, God told me to give up my salary. I mean, for several years here at the church. He said, because that has become your ceiling. So if you give up your ceiling, that means the heavens are open. I went and told the elders that one time, and I said, this is what God's saying. They said, well, you're the founding pastor. I don't think you shouldn't do that. I said, I have a word from God, and the Bible, and the, the word says that fathers lay up for the children, not the children for the fathers. So I said, oh, I'm going to do it because I feel like God's saying that. We were needing to cut some expenses anyway. So I go home, and I said, oh, now I've got to explain this to Diane. <laughs> Because we didn't have time to talk this thing through. Normally, we discuss everything. And, and uh, I said, hey, she said, how the elders mean go? I said, good news and bad news. <laughs> the good news is things are working out. The bad news is things are working out. <laughs> what do you mean? I told her, and she said, thank God. She said, it was weeks ago the Lord told me that we were to do that. And I said, God, if you want it, if that's not going to happen, you need to tell Carrie. Yes. Yes. Well, he did. We, we were so blessed of the Lord, and it's amazing to see what God would do. Instead of living under the shaking, and we made, I made plenty of mistakes, believe me. There wasn't mean, that, wasn't mean that every day I went by and said, oh, yeah, praise God, here it comes, here it comes. No, there was times that I was tested. I was a little distraught, wondering about it, and I have to go back to the rock. God, you said your promise is that way. I'm either going down believing or going up standing, but I'm, I'm not going to go back and out of fear in that way. Right. And so... 
anyway, it was just amazing to see what, how the Lord did all that. So when we see when things are being shaken, he's saying, I want to refocus your attention and refocus how you think so that you're living from your heart, not living from all the outside of what's going on around you. All right, 80 times the New Testament talks about the kingdom of God. Jesus makes this statement in, in Luke, the 17th chapter, and he's talking to, to in verse 21, he's, he's actually talking to the Pharisees, which uh, they don't understand this. Let me just say that when anything I preach, Pastor Jim preached, anyone else, you can hear as deep as you want to, or you can hear as shallow as you want to. I'm not telling you how, how you should think. Just here's the Holy Spirit. Let him take you deep or let him just, you know, skim the surface. You can pull something out of every meal. Whether it's meat, you still chew it. Whether it's bread, you just eat it. But the word of God is, is of itself. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees always heard at a different level than, than even the disciples. Jesus would be talking about farming, and they go, why is he talking about farming? Four Don't say it's four months and then the harvest. Well, he wasn't talking about farming. He was talking about right now there's souls out there to go after. So we, we, we hear at the level of where our heart is. If where our heart is at the point of fear, we hear based on fear. Or if we know our heart is saying, God, it's up to you. You're going to take care of me. I don't know how, but I just know you will. So in, in Luke 17 and, and uh, verse 21, Jesus makes this, this statement, which kind of sums it all up for me. Um, now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, they were looking for a physical kingdom and a king to come. He answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. You cannot see it. This is a hidden kingdom that you cannot see with your eyes. You may see the results of it, but you can't see it and understanding what they talk about a, a castle and a throne and all of that. This is, he's telling them something, but their mind is saying, well, where's the kingdom? There's got to be a, a castle. There's got to be a, a throne. Who's the king? Jesus said in John 18, verse 36, when he's talking before Pilate, he said, are you a king? He said, yeah, you say so. He said, where's your kingdom? He said, my kingdom is not of this realm. Or my servants would be fighting right now to preserve it. Which lets me know the more we fight here, the less we understand the kingdom. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So once we're more peaceful in the kingdom of God, the less we're warring and fighting among ourselves. We're fighting with ourselves even. Okay. Luke 17. And Jesus says to answers to Back to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is where? Within you. The word kingdom, basilea, is a word that means a rule or dominion, a, if you would, a law. So he's saying, I have placed inside of you a governance that happens by the Holy Spirit that you will rule and reign from the inside out, not from what's going on the outside. I place inside of you on your heart my own throne, if you will, and trusting the Lord for whatever goes on, that the, the rule and government is inside of you. So with every government, so where's your capital? Right here. Where's the throne? Right here. He, Psalms 22, he's enthroned upon the praise of his people. Where's the praise of his people? Right here. There is a kingdom to come, 
There is something's going to happen in the physical kingdom, but for right now, he's went from, these, come from the outside to the inside. Just like in the Ark of the Covenant, there was a box there, but he was on the inside. It represented them, but he's on the inside. That we are, if you can hear this, the Ark of the Covenant in a new covenant way, that you are now, the mercy has been applied over your life, you carry inside of you everything that was in the Ark of the Covenant is now inside of you in a, even a greater dominion. You are priests who carry the presence of God. So when I get frustrated and upset and bothered about something, what it is is I've laid down the priestly mantle and I've taken on the humanity mantle. And somebody ought to be upset about this. Somebody needs to do something about this. Somebody ought to be bothered about that. Yeah, I don't don't like all things going on. But I'm not going to let what's happening outside come inside and destroy. I mean, we got cold weather outside, but I'm not going to let it get inside. So the Bible talks about guarding your heart, protecting the heart, the seat, to where that we allow him to become Lord of all. So when we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're saying, how much does he literally have rulership and take ownership on the inside of me? How much do I really let him become Lord inside of me? I'm tested all the time. Don't always pass the test either. That's not the right way to think. You shouldn't say that. You shouldn't act that way. You shouldn't have that mindset. And the Holy Spirit, it's called conviction. The more that we yield to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the more that his kingdom rules and reigns. And the more that the authority of the kingdom of God inside of us is is ruling and reigning, the less likely the devil can have anything to do with him. Let me case in point. Jesus is giving us, in Matthew, the sixth chapter, he's giving us the, the Lord's Prayer. But it's actually, it was the discipleship prayer that Jesus gave to them. He said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. We had, did a tremendous time this morning declaring his name to be holy. We do all do that every day. You set the atmosphere for what's going to happen. And he's saying, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth. Well, this, this ground here, firma. Well, I can make a case because I'm taking you into 2 Corinthians 4. And he said, we are earthen vessels that the excellency of God is not of us but of him. So we could actually say, let your kingdom come in this earthen vessel. Not just on this planet but on this earthen vessel. Because this earthen vessel is what has eternal value, not this planetary place we call earth. Because there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, and it's all going to be destroyed. But our spirit man is not going to be. Those who know Jesus, we have a place with him. So he said, thy kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In other words, I'm submitting to the will of the king inside of me. And when we do that, then there's a rulership that's set up that can't be shaken. I don't know how else to explain it in any other terms than that, but we carry inside of us the Prince of Peace, the peace of God that rules inside of us. And it really, it takes a a lot of work to resist the devil and he'll flee. And as I said here before, the word resist means to replace with. To resist the devil, I have to replace what he's saying with something that God's saying. 
So if the devil is saying, you're going to fail and everybody's going to know it and you're going to fall on your face and, you know, this is going to be repossessed, taken from you and say, That's, is that God saying? No. I've never forsaken you. I've never left you. So I replace what the devil's saying when I replace with God. Then I replace what is shaken, is pushed out. I've guarded my heart. Now I'm in agreement with heaven. Then you, in Matthew, the 16th chapter, which we get the, the keys of the kingdom thought. So if we're rethinking, not kingdom not being a place up there or somewhere eventually in, in, in Jerusalem, which it will be, but we're saying if the kingdom of God is here, then we read this scripture with a whole different thing in mind. When he's telling Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom. And so we, people brought, you know, right, here's the keys and we go and lock. What are we locking? He's talking about I'm giving you the authority where? Inside of you. I'm giving you authority to take authority over who? You. I need to get authority over me. If I can't control the guy between these two elbows, I can't control much else. In fact, the Bible says one who is a, a foolish man, one who is an angry man is like a city with walls that are broken down walls. He is, can't defend himself. The more angry you are and more bitterness are, the more weaker that you are to the, to the spirit of this world. So he, he wants us to retrain our brain to where that we're thinking the way that he thinks and considers what he says. So if that means I give you the keys to the kingdom of your heart, whatever you bind on earth is already burnt, bound in heaven. That's a real place. I've, I've cleaned out heaven, that third heaven. I've cleaned out the demonic realm of there so there's no fear, there's no sickness, no disease there. Let the kingdom of heaven come to earth. And so he's saying, you have the right or authority to let the kingdom of heaven, where there's no sickness, no disease, no fear, no all that, come to you, or you're like, yeah, it's just the way it is. And I don't know, struggling with sickness and disease and all those things are not, not an easy task. But you continually remind your spirit man, you're not sick. You're eternally, you're under the blood of Jesus. I just need this body to catch in what my spirit is knows. My spirit knows everything, so I have to say to my body, you, my body, you will submit to the spirit within me. No man knows the spirit of man save the spirit in him. So my spirit in me knows God. My mind is still confused about a lot of things, but I need my mind to come and be submitted to my spirit. He sent his word and healed you. So what is he doing? He said to heal your mind. I mean, no, it's your, your spirit says, yes, that's a word sent from heaven. Let heaven come to earth, and then we just continually go on. on. He sent his word, and I'm healed. Sent his word, and I'm healed. I may not be feeling it right now, but I declare I'm healed. I'm, I'm walking in the dominion of what he said. His kingdom is right. My body is wrong. Whichever one I choose to believe is the one that I empower. And I'm not saying it's easy either. When you're hurting and pain and things don't go right, you have to eke it out inside of you, that deepest part of you. Let God arise. With that understanding, Jesus saying the kingdom of God is within you. And then I was having this conversation with Frankie coming in. I said, do you realize most parables, and I can't think of one right offhand, that does not enlist the kingdom of God in it? The kingdom of God is like a man going in a far country, brings his servants in, and he gives them these talents. 
the kingdom of God is like. He's saying, I want you to understand something that's comparable. So if it's like that, when you bring yourself into alignment, what the kingdom of God is like, then you have the dominion of the king inside of you. The kingdom of God is like the man who found a pearl in, a, in this field. He went and sold everything he had because he wanted the, that pearl of great price. Well, what does that do? He said the kingdom of God is a point that when you see who he really is, he's the pearl, you'll do whatever you've got to do, sell it because you want that. You, you, you want him more than you want anything else. So that's what the kingdom of God is like. It's not something we do on a sideline on Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning just as, well, as a terminology, the kingdom of God. Now, the king of glory inside of you gives you a passion, not a religious reality, but a passion to want him personally. With, with most of the parables, there's risk, there's obedience, and then there's reward. Let's take, for instance, quickly the parable of the talents. He said he gave one, one talent. Talent was actually a weight of money. It wasn't a, a gift to sing or whatever. One, three, and five. There was a risk for all of them. There was a reward he, that when he comes back, he will reward them. And there was a, had to be an act of obedience all the way through. So if you're believing God for financial things or healing or whatever you're believing for, he said, here's what the kingdom of God is like. Let me give you an example so that you can walk in the kingdom of God and see the blessing of the king coming to you. He comes back, you know, the, the, the parable. He comes to the one that has the one. He said, what did you do? I'm requiring an accountability with what did you do with what I gave you? Well, Lord, I know you, which is not true. I know you and you are so exact and you're, you're so, so, the idea is you're mean. And so I didn't want to lose this and so I hid it in the ground and I, and I know because I didn't lose it. So here it is. So I didn't want it just for safekeeping. It was for investing. But you chose to bury it because if you really did know me, you know everything that I have and does is for the purpose of growing or investing or expanding. Look at everything Jesus did. He blessed this, became food for 5,000 plus. He blessed this and became more than what they thought. So the, so the point through through the parables is, and he comes to one with three, and he says, you've, you've sowed the three, and you've got three more, and he says, well done, good and faithful, full of faith, and you got three more. He was an act of obedience, and so he gained three more. He comes to the one with five, and he said, you've done, you've thrown out the five, you did well, you increased in that, and so he, he not only gets through the act of obedience, but he takes from the one that had the one that was lost, and he gives it to the guy with a five. I always say God's not socialistic by that, for sure. Because the one who has the greater, has shown the greater ability of stewardship gets the more responsibility with that. With maturity comes more responsibility. If you want to mature in God, then get ready because he'll give you more to do and more responsible with that. So we see what the kingdom of God is like there's a risk, there's an obedience, and there's a reward to it. If we're believing God for something supernatural to happen, then understand how the kingdom of God operates and how we think, we have to think. 
So we think by God's given me something, what I do with what he's given me, that is the risk. I can hang on to it or what if I lose it? What if it doesn't go right? What will people think? And that's the risk. But the reward is the fact is when I do it and God and it comes and with his own word, he blesses it and causes it to be more than it could. I wish there's another part of the parable and there's not, was what happens to the guy with the three and five had they invested and they lost it all. My, my imagination says he would have said good and faithful because you didn't withhold it. You put it out there, you know, and, and gave it a shot. That's right. I've invested in things and, and lost it. But every time I do, I lose the fear of losing. The mistakes are not failure. They are sign markers along the journey to get you where you're going. Success is not the absence of failure. Failure is only when I refuse to learn anything from the mistakes. I went into business right out of high school. None of my family had ever been in business before. They were always, don't risk it, don't do anything. You, you go work, you know, till, till you get that 20 year and a gold watch and hang out there and hope you have enough to live on. There was something in my spirit that says, man, I think I can do better than that. I worked for, I was 16, 17 years old, worked for a fence company, and uh, during the summer when I was working full time, my paycheck for working hard all week was exactly $102. And so my boss presented me with an idea. I'd see these guys with these trucks, and they'd come, and they were unloading lumber out of boxcars, and they were doing all this. And, he, and so I said, man, who are these guys? And he told me what they did and how they got paid. And he said, and they're, gonna, they're retiring, and they're going to sell the trucks. So he introduced me to them. And I think it was only an investment like a 3000 or 3500 I went to my dad, and I said, hey, I want to buy these trucks. He said, you can't do that. No one's going to loan you any money. Number one is you have no credit. I said, I don't have bad credit. I just don't have any. And he said, what happens if you lose? Who's going to make those payments? I don't know. My mind has never gone there. All I could see was it's better than making 100 bucks a week and working for somebody else, trading time for money. If you do that, that's fine. So I, I prayed about it, and my mother was saying, hey, I think it's in God. You need to let him go. And I said, if I fail, I fail because I've tried. I'm not going to fail because I didn't try. Wayne Gretchen, the, the famous hockey player, says, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. Fear paralyzes people and causes them to think what the worst scenario is. The kingdom of God is like this. Think like this. So I went to the bank. It was American National Bank, and and uh, felt like that's where the Lord told me to go. And, and I walked in there and then uh, gave me a loan officer, and he was in a wheelchair. He Actually, he got hurt in an accident, and he played for the Los Angeles Rams, and he's there. And he said, what's your business model? I don't know what business model is. He said, how are you going to pay it back? And I said, told him what I did and how I would pay it back. And, and, uh, and so my dad said, sir, that he doesn't understand. I came with him to support him. He doesn't understand that you can't loan him that money. I thought, man, I thought you came for support. Just... So I told him how I would do it, and I would pay it back in a certain amount of time. I need this much money for equipment and all this kind of stuff. Buy these two old trucks and on like that. 
So the guy wheeled off and came back and slid some papers across the desk. And, and my dad grabbed him. He said, oh, you want me to co-sign? He pulled him out of his hands. He said, no, I want to see what the boy's got. He's got guts. <laughs> my first week, I made $1,500. I thought I made $100 the week before. $1,500 now. Didn't know there was such thing. It broke the fear of failure and broke that sense of what if I, I lose the one. And it did it for my brothers and the rest of my families. There was such a poverty spirit upon them. My brother later, I showed him the business. He went into business. He's in the ministry today. My dad retired early uh, working for the state of Texas. And I turned the business over to him. So when I moved to Tyler to start this church, I gave all my family the business opportunities. And now they're, they're, they're working way beyond what they'd ever got before. There is the kingdom of God is like. We have to get into what he's like, not what the world says. This is what happens. This is the way it is. By the way, I, I, I was supposed to pay the, the loan back in 24 months. I paid it back in 18 months. And uh, then you have a checking account there. The guy said, well, I'll deposit the money in checking account. I said, what's that? <laughs> I didn't know how to write a check. I just kept putting money in. Don't write checks. You'll be fine. Kingdom of God is like this. Put more in than you take out. It works. <laughs> it's called saving, stewardship. All right, I want to look at one of the parables that Jesus tells us that really explains this, the kingdom thinking. Matthew 13, chapter, the parable of sower and seed. We'll apply it to the idea the kingdom of God is inside of us. Like I said, I was raised in a household that we, we did okay. We, had, we didn't know that we didn't have a whole lot, but we were happy, and, and, and so we made ends meet. But I was around an environment where you prayed in your daily bread. You prayed it in. You continually prayed in what you believe that you needed. Jesus uses this parable, the sower and seed, as a way to explain the kingdom of God is inside of us. It's not a place. It's not a thing. It's inside of us. But we tend to oppress what we physically cannot see with our eyes. That's why I call it an unseen or hidden kingdom. But it's very much alive, very much real. So I'm going to quickly just kind of run over some of these, these highlights of this passage because it, it gets a little lengthy. This is the parable. Uh, pick it up in verse uh, 11. And Jesus said to them, answering, you know, this is the kingdom of God like. Some of the other gospels says it that way. Eighty times, most of them were in the gospels that the kingdom of God's like. If he's giving that many times, I need to pay attention and see what it's like. And I need to be like it. All right. Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries, the word bathos is the word for mystery, means that which cannot be seen or understood with the natural mind. When Jesus told Peter, launch out into the deep, the word deep there is the same word as bathos as mystery. So the word mystery here could be say that the parables or this has been given to you to know the depth of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has been given, not been given to them. In other words, the Pharisees, they're not understanding it, but I want you to understand what's below the surface, the depth here. For whoever has to him more will be given and he will be have abundance. And he goes on to talking about uh, that the more, how we're steward of one thing becomes greater than the other. 
For whoever has to him more will be given and will have abundance, but whoever does not have will be taken from him. All right, let's back up to what he's talking about. Verse 3. He spoke these things to them in parables, saying, Sower went out to sow a seed. By the way, 2 Corinthians 9 says, God gives seed to the sower. All of us have seed. We just may not recognize it as such. We all have seed. We just don't, may not be nickels and dimes, but we have seeds. We have talent. We have gifting. We have the uh, intelligence. There's things that we have. We just don't recognize that it has a value until it's put in the Lord's hands. All right. I know he gets four kinds of soil here quickly. He sowed some seed, fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured it. So it was sown when it was unintentional, a place that wasn't ready for it. It was just thrown out there, and we'll give it a shot and see what happens. It was by the wayside. It was not in the right placement that it needed to be. You can't add faith to something that you don't even think is going to anything good happen to it. So the wayside means it was not even thinking. It was not, could not be watered. It was not even tended to anyway. So it was not... He's like, oh, well, I'll give it a shot. God, if that's you, it's okay. If not, it's no big deal. That's the wayside. Some fell on stony places. By the way, the birds come and devour the wayside. The enemy comes. If seed's not sown deep in your heart, the enemy will come and steal it right off the bat. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. There was no depth to it. Immediately it sprang up because they had no depth of earth. Sun comes out, scorches it, and it's lost. Look at verse 7. There was no, no root there. Some fell among thorns, and thorns sprang up and choked them. You look in Jesus' explanation, the parable, the, the thorns were the cares of life. I'm just bothered about this and bothered about that, and how come this, and how come that? And God can't get a word in edgewise so that literally it begins to choke what the potential that he wanted to bring forth would be. Verse 8. Others fell on good ground. It yielded a crop, some 100, some 60, 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus saying, if you think I'm just talking about, this is my paraphrase, you think I'm just talking about growing something, you're missing. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. It's inside of you. The seed, the word of God is in, in us. When it's planted and we yield to it, we water it by giving agreement to it, waking up every day, thank you, Lord, for your word is life and spirit to me. We're watering that seed. I'm protecting when the enemy comes in. Did God really say that doesn't, you know, you don't deserve this. You made too many mistakes. And, and the devil reminds us of your past, which God is not reminding us past. He's reminding us of the seed has a life of its own. The seed is inside of you. So you, you guard your heart. You push back on that. You're resisting trying to steal the seed, trying to, I know God does it for others. How come he doesn't do it for me? One of the big resistors to the kingdom of God is we compare ourselves with other people. Yeah. If I had their family, or if I had their wealth, or if I had their kids, if I had their whatever, how do you know where they started? Right. Everything you overcome empowers you to keep what you have. You become stronger to hang on to it. That's why we see a lot of generations where money is transferred to the next generation and they lose it all because they weren't there trained to know how to make that money so they don't know how to keep it. By the third generation, they've lost all their inheritance. That's why the Israelites had to be trained in warfare because 
God gave him the land of Canaan and they couldn't hold the ground. There would simply be the promise would be lost. So the things we go through are in training for us to be able to hold the ground and be a good steward of everything God's given us. God, God's given you a promise for your children and they're doing everything but what the Word of God says. I mean, you can go around and say, yeah, well, look how bad they are. I don't know how I, what I did to deserve how bad they are. You're just going to wind up in jail. You're going to wind up in that. And we end up prophesying based upon how we feel instead of based upon the kingdom of God thinks like this. God thinks like this. God thinks better about your kids than you do. <laughs> so I just need to get into the right kingdom thinking. So you can bless them and saying they're not hellions. They are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. And it doesn't matter what's going on. You're declaring and prophesying on earth as it is in heaven. Let heaven come to them. Let heaven come and smack them in the face. Let heaven awake their spirit because you're believing what God's saying instead of what the enemy's saying. And we have whatever we empower or we continually give power to words and so on like that. The power of life and death is in the tongue. Jesus said, the words I speak, John 6, 63, are spirit in their life. So words have power. And so if we're not living up to the power of God, we're living in the power of what the enemy says, then no wonder it's confusing. All right. In Romans, the 12th chapter, and this is really where it comes down to, verse, verse 2, all of us know this. Be not conformed or formed fashioned by this world, but be transformed, metamorphosis is the word, be transformed into the same image of who he is, but transformed so that we have a renewed mind, he goes on to say. Evidently, a renewed mind is important because he talks about it. He says even that we can have the mind of Christ, it's a choice but it's a battle. You know, it's a battle of the mind. It's a battle of the mind all the time. Because the mind will feed into our spirit. Our spirit feeds into our body. It's like one cup pouring into the other. So if the fact is that I'm battling the mind, I haven't won that battle, then I'm going to see a lot of the other things suffer. But I, I have to make a choice. I choose to think like the king that lives inside of me, Jesus. Jesus thinks like this. He said, that's my temple, that's my body, and however you yield your body to and whatever you give your body to, therefore that means that that's the king, that's, that's the covenant. So when you're saying that, I am allowing Jesus to inhabit my body, the temple of the living God. That means I'm more concerned with what Jesus thinks than what anybody else thinks. And I'm all for being healthy, but not to the obsessive point to where that I'm concerned about what people look like and think like. But I want to make sure that my heart is right. My abs could look great and my heart be far from him. <laughs> well, my heart, I, I'm, I'm good with my heart. Anyway. There's some things that take a lot longer to work on than others. Romans 8 and verse 16 says it like this, talking about the mind of Christ. To be carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Carnal just doesn't mean the words 
flesh like Sarx, but it literally means the opposition to God himself. So carnal mind is a, I know the word says this, but I chose to think like that. And he says, then I've made a choice to be carnal or outward, if you will, thinking. And he said, the carnal mind is an enmity or an opposition to God. So I can't even get, the more closer you get with the Lord, the more you cannot get by with stinking thinking. I used to. How come I used to think that and feel that and all that and I can't do it anymore? He said, because you said, I want more of you. In order to have more of me, then you have to give up more of you. I will not coexist, light and darkness, in the same place. Sitting there, we were worshiping, just a wonderful time. I heard the Lord said, you're going to have to catch up. I said, I don't know what I can do more right now. He said, no, I move at the speed of light. The devil moves at the speed of darkness. So the speed of light is the speed of revelation. So when you operate in revelation, you're outrunning darkness. So when we're held in darkness, it means that we're not moving at the speed that he's called us to be. Light overcomes darkness. And so we have to move it. What does the word of God say? It's light. In him was life, and his life was the light of men, which is the word of God. So we have a place to move from that point. Jesus always referred to Matthew, the fourth chapter, he said, the gospel of the kingdom, gospel meaning good news, the gospel of the kingdom is the good news of how God thinks. All I've got to do is tweak how I think. And you can catch yourself by, if we're really great at analyzing other people and we call other people names, and yet somehow or another, we're okay, we're good. Then that's carnally minded. You're in opposition to God. And all you can get from that is however much you can work hard. But when we're submitting ourselves, that means I have to repent many times for what I have thought about people, things. Have you read the book there? And even what I think about people who drive in Dallas. I can't even have names for them anymore. I used to, but I can't anymore. The closer you get to him, the less likely that darkness can invade into your heart. You just feel the grieving of the Holy Spirit much quicker and much easier for that to take place. Now, Jesus taught prayer in Matthew, the sixth chapter, going on with that. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then he goes on to to say how what the kingdom of heaven is like. We know the scripture says, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. I think I brought this question up a couple of years ago. I mean, the Lord posed this to me. And he said to me, do you think that you can be bound in heaven? And if you're bound in heaven, then you're bound on earth. No, Lord, that's the devil. No, no. Whatever is bound in heaven is already bound in earth. It's already been bound in heaven. So if you are operating unforgiveness, you are bound in heaven. Because he said, if I don't forgive, then I cannot be forgiven. Bound means that I am shackled, that I I don't have access to them. So when you think about the kingdom of God, we're just not thinking about the devil. It is possible for me to be bound in heaven 
to the full potential that I could have here on earth. And whatever is loosed in heaven is already loosed on earth. So if you want to be loosed in heaven, then we have to think in terms of what the king of glory thinks about and how he feels and how he thinks about it. So I say, oh, God, help me to train my brain. Train my brain. I start, first of all, by having a willingness to say, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to do the hard work. I'm willing, my will, not my will, but your will be done. And I can't give, well, here's, I'm sure there's circumstances. God, if you felt like, if you knew these people like I do, then you would feel that way. Well, he does know them, and he sees them through blood, through his blood and through his redemption, not through your, your emotions or your comparison to yourself. So when he talks about this, he said, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, so the kingdom of God is either loosing or binding. And if we are in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is within us, it's possible that I'm, 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 I'm bound on the inside because I really need to release the king of glory. And release, that means that he has the rulership. It's he's the one who's, who's setting the law. He's the one. The perfect law of liberty in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. So new covenant, ha new, new covenant has a law. Well, that's the Mosaic law. Well, there's a law of liberty. There's a law of sin and death. Just whichever one of those we work under. All right, let me finish up with this. Philippians, the fourth chapter. I promised myself I'd finish earlier today. Maybe five minutes. <laughs> Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Let anxiety get a hold of you. But in everything by prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to the Lord. Right there is the transformation of the mind. Prayer, supplication, very specific things, not general things like whatever you want, God's fine. With thanksgiving, having a thankful heart, finding things to be thankful for. If you have to hunt, then obviously we don't, we're not really that thankful. Let your requests be made known to God. In other words, this is what the, your requests are packaged as it goes before the Lord. And the re return or the rhetorical part to us, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding just blows your mind Peace of God which passes all understanding with will guard your heart and mind through Christ the anointed. The more that we're allowing him to become Lord, the Lordship, the more peace we have and the less striving we have. Faith is not about striving. Faith is giving up and allowing him, the faith of the Son of God, to take over. All right. Here's the rest of this. Finally, verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, very honorable, whatever things are just, they have a right balance. Whatever things are pure, without mixture, can't have a but God in it. Whatever things are lovely, they bring that sense of joy to your heart. Whatever things are of good report, if you can't say anything good, then don't report it. Whatever things are virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate. I'm not just talking about meditate. He's giving us the charge to meditate. How many of you, and I'll raise my hand, has ever worried about anything? Then you already know how to meditate. <laughs> 
Meditation is simply, I'm going to think about the goodness of God or I'm going to worry about the, what's going on in the world. I, ch- I can choose which one of those I'm going to look at. And so just simply come into that point and allow God to take over. One final thought, I think. Second Corinthians 4, excuse me, 1 Kings, 2 Kings 4, rather. Elisha comes up to the widow lady. She has been the wife of a prophet and well-known, and, and uh, things aren't going well. Her husband's died, and she creditors are trying to come take her two children, put them in indentured servant. You think, here's a believer, God, and it's not going right. What's the deal? If you're ever a believer and you think, this isn't right, I've done all these things. I've praised you and I've worshipped you. I've given my tithes. I've done everything. And things aren't going good. So we give up on what we believe or we change the way that we're thinking. The prophet comes to her and he says, what do you have in the house? And her mindset had become so set upon the fear, she says, I have nothing but a little jar of oil. And he said, it's enough. When what we think is nothing and we allow the Spirit of God to come in, we put it in the Lord's hands, then he can multiply. And you know the story. She went and got all the vessels from all of her neighbors and hopefully had good relationship with neighbors and you get all these vessels, bring them in the house. And as long as there was a capacity that was empty, then she continually poured, paid off all the debts, and she lived off the rest. But in her mind was, I don't have anything. So my question to us here at the final moment is, what do you have in the house, meaning you are the house of God, that has value, you don't see it? Because we're too busy looking at what somebody else has in their house or how big their house is or whatever. What do you have in the house? I mean, mercy has a value to it. If you're merciful... If you're a critical person that criticizes everybody and everything, you got that in the house. And that can be multiplied too. Be careful. When you recognize, I don't have anything but God, here it is. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give it to you. Worrying hasn't helped me any. Concerned about everything hasn't helped me. Concerned about what's happening in the world around us and everything hasn't helped. So I'm going to give you what I have. And the very thing that you, you consider the most value is our intimacy in our heart for you. So I'm yielding it to you. I'm going to give you the cares of my life, all the stuff that I can't change, worry about anyway. Talking about it doesn't help. Making other people feel miserable about it doesn't help unless you're really looking for solutions. And I say, I'm coming to you, Jesus, and I'm presenting my, my, myself. The very thing that has value is what you gave your blood for. And when you gave your life for me, then I became valuable. I want you more than I want your stuff. A person came to me one time and he said, if I could just get rid of these cigarettes, I could be a believer. I, I, would, I'd, I would want Jesus if I could just get, give up cigarettes. And I said, what if I told you Jesus didn't want your cigarettes? He wants you. Well, everywhere I've gone, they said I have to quit smoking. In other words, because I I smell like I've been to hell, and that's where I'm going. Really, that's real biblical, isn't it? You may stink, but that doesn't keep you out of, you know. He's one of your heart, not your addictions. So he gave his heart to the Lord, 
I prayed with him, and he lost the addiction. We think we've got to get cleaned up and we've got to do all of these things. Then he said, I want your heart and I can take, I can deal with all the other stuff. It's not that big a deal. When I come the king of your heart, I'll wash you outside and inside and take care of all the other things. Because when I'm the Lord of your life, the devil knows it. And you're outrunning him now. You're outrunning the sound. You're outrunning what he says. You're outrunning his thoughts. And you're moving at the speed of revelation. Stand with me, would please. Father, we just present our mind to you today, and we just ask you, would you heal up the broken places in our mind, the places that we have become so wounded in and so hurt by, and the enemy just causes those tapes to be replayed over and over and over and over. Remember that. Remember who. Remember what. And we want to come and say, I remember Jesus hanging on the cross, and he said, Father, forgive them. And he destroyed the works of the enemy by simply changing the language, changing his heart. For many of us, we, we're Christian in our mind, but our mouth is still not, is not caught enough to be Christian. I'm Christian in my thinking, but my mouth has not been submitted to the rulership of the king. When he gets hold of our tongue, our mouth, then he has what he wants. He changes everything. So, Father, we present ourselves as an offering right now today and ask your God to come and fill up inside of us and crowd out all the doubt, all the belief, and leaving no room for the enemy to coexist and leaving no room for the enemy to come and do something else. I pray for every person that you're dealing with financial issues or maybe in your marriage or home. Recognize that Jesus is the Lord of all of that. He created marriage. And so I need to go to him to know for get the parts replaced or what I need. God, you says to us that you'll give us that you're the Lord of abundance, not mediocrity. So we come to you and ask you, Lord, and, and lay it before you. And just that little seed I have in my house. And I'm not even talking about tithing of money, I'm talking about the heart. I'm coming to yield my heart 100%, not just on Sunday, not just when I get my way, not just when I, things go my way, but at all times and all seasons, my heart belongs to you. If you need to come and, and deal with my heart, then do so, Father. Do so. Don't let me be a rebel in your kingdom because there is, there is no such place. So we just ask you, Father, to change my thinking. Some of you here this morning that God is going to change even traditions that have caused your, your thinking to be in the opposite direction because Jesus told the Pharisees, you make the Word of God ineffective because of your traditions. Yes. Traditions is a little bit of truth in my editions, and I keep truly, truth edition. In order to be completely free, I'm, said, I'm, not, I'm laying down all of the the rules and dictates of what men and, and religiosity says, and I'm coming, Jesus, with my heart towards you right now. If you're dealing with any of the things I mentioned, would you just come and stand here? I'm going to pray specifically over you, pronouncing a word of encouragement, a word of life, <laughs> whatever that might be, one end of the spectrum or the other. 
If you're dealing with guilt from something of the way of the past, and it seems like the enemy just keeps beating you up over that, today is the day we're severing the soul ties to that thing. We're breaking up with the devil. He's not going to get a word in edgewise. He's not going to beat me up with something, some mistake and something I did many years ago. I'm refusing to entertain something that disrupts my relationship and fellowship with the Father. <coughs> Just grab hold of what it is right now. You didn't, I know you didn't come to stand like, whatever, God. There's something on your heart that he's saying right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the blood of his Son that has destroyed the works of the devil, I come and I sever soul ties, mindsets, thoughts that interrupt. We know that's not you, oh God. And it may be thoughts or things that were said by somebody else that tried to label you and define you. But God didn't send them. God didn't say it. You don't have to believe it or receive it. And when the enemy comes in like that, you allow the Spirit of God to flood back and say, yeah, but God, but God, but God. Don't allow the enemy to get a second moment in your thoughts and in your brain. You're a kingdom child. You belong to him, bought and purchased with the blood of Jesus. Therefore, he wants to come and renew your thinking to think what he thinks so you can have his heart. So, Father, we sever right now guilt, condemnation. We sever anything where the enemy has come to beat us up and remind us of all of that. I release blessing and favor upon people financially that you're struggling and even feel like it's my fault. I should have been better. I should have done something else. And just hear the Spirit of the Lord whether it's something you need to step out in another direction and to take a risk, trust God in, and to see what He does. Or maybe the fact is He'll give you something to do or something to sow to replace that. So we come right now in the name of Jesus believing that. We sever every kind of a thought, whether it's an addiction or affliction in your body. We say no to this afflictor, the accuser of the brethren, that accuses our mind and yet our bodies seem how another to, to, to reflect it. Right now in the Jesus' name, we're clean, we're white. No more, no more. Don't go back there and re revisit. Old things pass away. It's buried. Don't even give it a tombstone. Don't go back there and visit and dig it up and say, okay, I know, but God. So I need to go back and talk. No, 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 no. 